Please do take a seat. Tonight's reading is Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 to 7, and can be found on page 736 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel. To him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Maria, for reading that. Um, Do keep page uh, 736 open in front of you as we take a look at that passage together, um, and let's pray as we do so. Heavenly Father, we've just been singing how great you are, Uh, and Lord, as we look at this passage from Isaiah tonight, we pray that we would see that again, and we'll be struck afresh with the wonder at who Jesus is. Amen. Well, I don't know if you can think of a time when you are anticipating something exciting. Uh, I've got an example uh, that happened yesterday. John and Sophie got married. Uh, many of you will recognize John and Sophie. But as you can imagine, a build-up to a wedding uh, involves a lot of anticipation. You know something is exciting that's going to happen. It's a, it's a wonderful day. Uh, and I've seen John and Sophie uh, over the last few months getting increasingly excited uh, and a little stressed, um, but increasingly excited uh, about the weddings coming up. Uh, Sophie, spending time with family and friends and the lovely white dress that she gets to wear. John, about the music that they get to walk out to, which was something from Star Wars, um, tells you about them. Um, but it is, it's right, isn't it? They got excited about one of the biggest events um, of their life. In fact, uh, John was so full of anticipation he arrived an hour and a half early for his own wedding. Um, and, he, and when I asked him, he said, I'm just excited to get on with it. Isn't that nice? But as you can see, an anticipation, it, it builds um, as you get near an event. When there's something good to long, get along to, you get those nerves along the way, of course, uh, a bit of impatience while, um, while you're waiting. But 
underneath there's this kind of thrill that something good is coming. And that's the kind of uh, anticipation and build-up that Isaiah wants his readers to have as he goes through these servant songs. We've been uh, looking at them, as Tim was saying. And this is another one of those, those songs that are strategically placed through Isaiah's prophecy. Um, and and the, the overarching theme is that through this servant, that uh, Israel, who are in exile in Babylon, will be brought back and restored. And there'll be this full uh, redemption for them. Uh, and as you can imagine, as people sitting in exile in this foreign land, how good that must have sounded. Just go back home. And they're looking for that rebuilding of their nation. And tonight's song in particular uh, of the four servant songs smashes any small-scale anticipation they might have had. The sheer scope of what's going to come is going to be far beyond uh, what they would imagine as God displays his splendor to the whole world. So let's uh, dive in and have a look uh, at this song of restoration. And the first one we're going to see in verses 1 to 4 is to listen to the servants displaying God's splendor. Uh, you may have picked up as, we were, as Maria was reading that uh, passage that the, the servant song begins by mimicking the call of a prophet. If you've been with us in the 1130 services and we've been working through Jeremiah, you might have spotted some of the similarities. Because like Jeremiah, the servant is called by God even before he was born. Do you see that in verse 1? You see, there's no mistakes in God's plan of salvation. There's no afterthoughts. He he knows exactly how he's going to achieve his purpose. So he knows this role of the servant uh, even before his mother has seen him. And actually, just as a side point, isn't that reassuring? Isn't that a great comfort as you read through the Old Testament? And you see time and time again that people spinning into this downward spiral of sin. And yet God knows all along how he was going to rescue and redeem his people. There's there's never been a plan B. The plan A was always Jesus. And so he comes, this servant, as a prophet... Uh, uh, you see that also in the way that um, words are used uh, to achieve the mission of the servant. Um, you can see in verse uh, 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. See, this isn't a mission that's going to be uh, accomplished by military force. A great army marching in as the Babylonians had done to Israel. This servant's going to come with powerful words. And it shows that teaching role that the servant has. Isaiah has uh, already been telling the Judeans that they need to repent because of their rebellion against God. They've turned to idols rather than uh, to God. Uh, And they need to be taught that first. But also they need to be taught of the great salvation that's to come. As we all do. We all need to see how we've fallen short Uh, of God's standards, uh, to see how great the salvation is. Uh, And this great message is going to be no less from the servant. It's going to be just as radical with the sharpness of words that expose the sin of the hearers. 
and the sharpness of words that show the glory of God's salvation. And words that will be revealed at just the right time. If you think of Robin Hood for a second, Robin Hood uh, riding through the forest, Udalali, Udalali, and all that. Um, but if you think of Robin Hood, he's got, uh, he's got his bow and arrow, uh, he's got uh, the arrows in his quiver ready for the next rich carriage that's uh, coming along, uh, robbed from the rich to feed the poor. But that picture, think of the arrows uh, in the quiver as we read verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. If you think of a polished arrow, it's, it's there ready to be used when needed. Ready for the maker to take out and use its devastating effect. Hidden in the quiver? Well, it's waiting for that right time to be used when the rich uh, carriage comes along, if you're Robin Hood, or when God is ready to reveal these words through his servants. As a powerful word, come with a powerful message. Uh, and again, it's like a prophet, isn't it? He came with God's message to speak. Uh, and verse 4 as well is also like a, a prophet in the sense of uh, he meets opposition. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yeah, what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God's. Like a prophet, this servant feels like no one is responding, no one's listening, there's no fruit. Yet he knows there's a reward from God's. His reward comes from the God, not people. So his trust is there. It's an example of complete trust, actually, um, here. Um, he's not questioning what he's got to do. He's just completely trusting that this is the message he's got to bring. So what, you can see, as we go through these verses, why is Isaiah setting the servant up as a prophet? What does he want his hearers to do? And I think it's because he wants them to listen when this servant arrives. As they were to listen to a prophet. I mean, that anticipation of a new prophet uh, must have been great, especially, as I said, while they're in exile. But there's an extra thing in there that we've just skipped over, actually, that means we can't just think that this is any ordinary Old Testament prophet. Yes, we are to listen like an Old Testament prophet. But look at verse 3. He said to me, You are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. It's like it's something new, something better is coming along. Yes, a prophet, but something more. It's Israel. It's going to function, this servant is going to function uh, as Israel. And as, as he does so, he will display the Lord's splendor. Israel's function, uh, Isaiah has been reminding them of um, throughout his prophecy, but it's been set right back at the start. They were uh, to represent God. They were to be a blessing to the nations. But they had a huge problem, which was that they were deaf 
and they were blind, and they were rebellious. Uh, and that's why they've ended up in, uh, in exile, where we find them now. And you kind of get to this point, you think, how on earth is Israel going to be able to fulfill their function of being this blessing to the nations if they're just as much in need of salvation as anyone else? It's kind of like asking a toddler to help their baby sister cross a road. Yeah, neither of them are ready to do it. And that's where this servant steps in. You see, we can't, when he says, you are my servant Israel, he can't be talking about Israel because we already know they failed. He has to be talking about the perfect Israel. No prophet would have called themselves that because it's not a mere prophet we're looking for. Prophets can only point to both the problem and the solution. The servant, as we'll see, is the solution. He is the perfect Israel. And of course we know that this is Jesus. If you read the Gospels, then you see time again how he is set out to be that perfect Israel. And we're no less to listen to the words of Jesus. Yes, in the Gospels, but also the, the whole Bible that points to him. As Jesus is not only the great teacher and the great prophet, he's a very embodiment of what his teaching is. Not only do his words uh, give life, uh, or talk about giving life, they bring life. Not only do his words uh, convict of sin, he demonstrates how serious that sin is. Not only do his words lead to salvation, he is the way, the truth, and the life that brings that salvation. And do you see how in doing that, in bringing that word to life, he displays God's splendor to the world. And so we listen to the words of this servant. And as we do so, we see the splendor of God. We see that glory in front of our faces. And there's no greater thing for us to see. No greater thing that will increase our faith than gazing on the glory of God. That glory that's displayed in Jesus. So listen to the servant displaying God's splendor. And then secondly, recognize the worldwide salvation of the servants. That's where verses 5 to 7 go. Um, Israel, I guess as they're hearing these prophecies, they should have been expecting to one day uh, come back from exile, um, become that nation again that would... Uh, fulfill what they were originally told to do, that anticipation growing. Yet, I'm not sure would they really have got the full scope of what was meant. Would they really have thought how that was going to happen as they came back to their, back to their, you know, their country, little place in the, in the Middle East, and they get to be God's people again. And I do wonder sometimes if, if we can suffer from that same narrow view uh, of what God's doing. You know, we're, we're fortunate, and we should praise God, that well, this is a large church. We've loads going on. We've uh, people arriving on a fairly consistent basis, and, and people from all over the world gathering uh, here together. But I wonder if sometimes we see everything, we get so caught up with so much in he's doing, that we kind of just focus on the here. 
I know not everyone, this won't be true for everyone, but I think I do this sometimes. I focus on the, the here and forget, actually, that there's much more going on around the world. God's salvation is far wider than just Platt or Manchester or even England, as we'll see. In fact, uh, over food, you might want to talk about ways that you, f- you fall into that trap of having that narrow view of what God is doing, uh, and then talk about how this vision that we'll see in a moment that Isaiah gives blows that out of the water as we see that worldwide salvation uh, of the servants. You see, this part of the servant song um, is going to just blow any uh, of Israel's or ours um, narrow view of God's salvation out of the water as we look at verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to me, to him, and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. Uh, just pause there a second. Uh, it's worth remembering it, is, it does start with Israel. Um, it, this is a picture of the end of the exile, um, where they're all brought back t- together. Um, But as we carry on, verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servants to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See, Israel alone is too small for a servant like this. God wants that splendor that he's saying the servant will display to be seen by the whole world. It's what Israel should have been doing from the beginning. It's what the servant will now come and do. You see, even in verse 1, it talks about listening, ye islands, hear ye distant nations. The islands were a a picture of the far-flung areas of the Mediterranean. Um, they seem so far away to the people of that, that day. And yet, they're still going to hear God's message, still going to be under God's uh, control. I see, the servant is too great to contain. And we know that, don't we, in one sense, because we are meeting here tonight. And that message has reached us here in England, in Manchester. But God's mission is global. Do you remember the last words that Jesus said to his uh, apostles before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1? He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. That's where this salvation is going. The Washington Post uh, ran an article in 2012 which was was headlined, Our Christian Earth, the Astounding Reach of the World's Largest Religion. Uh, This is the map um, that they used. Uh, the headline itself says a lot, and lots you can say from this map. I mean, there's clearly, uh, you know, we can't 
sit back. There's still a mission to be done. But even in those green areas, that are, um, we know that we've got mission partners working in those areas. There are Christians there. If you think that, that uh, this religion started with just a handful of people locked in a room in Jerusalem... Now it has spread throughout the world. It's fair to say that in 2,000 years, Christianity has exploded to the ends of the earth. Now, as I say, there's still more we can, be, can be done, as we all know, here and abroad. There are lots of people. But sometimes we miss the fact that actually abroad, it's where people are coming to faith far more than they are here. In great numbers, people turn into Jesus. You see, we can't limit what Jesus has done and doing to one place. It's too great a thing to do that. It was always meant to be that uh, Jesus uh, and the message would go out around the world. So you can see that, actually, in the way that verse 6 talks about him. Uh, the very end bit where it says, my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It could actually also be translated that the servant is to be salvation to the ends of the earth. It's not only a message, he is bringing that very salvation. He is that salvation to the ends of the earth. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this is where our anticipation builds. That amazement at what Jesus has done, is doing, is achieving. And isn't it a great reminder in that run-up, as we run up to Easter, as verse 7 points out, he was despised, abhorred by the nation, But he's also a servant who returns as king. Everyone respects because of what he has done. Actually, verse 7, what is it? It's a call to recognize who this king is. A call to recognize this servant as he uh, fulfills his mission. And so let's not let Easter be a time where we think we've heard this message over and over again. But actually, let's see this servant, both personally, but also the worldwide scope of what this servant is doing. Because let's also remember that Easter is just the beginning. God's work of salvation to the ends of the earth is is carrying on. Uh, And more and more of the world is seeing God's glory and turning to him and praising him. So let's not think narrow, let's think big. Let's leave this place thinking big about what God has done through this servant, Jesus. It goes far beyond what we can imagine happens just here. We want to see this splendor. We want to hear his words. We want to see the gospel reaching out. Wouldn't that be a great thing to go into this week thinking about? As we go into places where we won't be hanging out with Christians all week. Places where 
uh, it will be harder for us to stand up for our faith. And yet there's still places where the salvation of Jesus can reach out to. Which it could be through you. It might be you're going somewhere far flung around the world this week, on holiday or something. Salvation still reaches there. It was never meant to be confined to one space. It's too small a thing for it to be just for us. God says to his servant, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent a servant in the Lord Jesus who was just too big to be confined to one space. Lord, thank you that that salvation has reached us. Thank you that it has reached around the world. Uh, And Lord, we pray that it would continue to do so as more and more people come to see your splendor displayed through your servants. Lord, please, this Easter time, open people's eyes to see it for the first time. Uh, And Lord, where we've uh, grown dim to what Jesus has done, please uh, bring that fresh into our minds with awe and wonder as we see what a great servant, a great salvation, a great hope, a great future that is brought in by the Lord Jesus. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for him this evening. Amen.